Welcome to A Penny for Your Thoughts, a podcast brought to you by Sean Bloomgren and Andrew Penny from Central Iowa. On our show, we discuss all things agronomy, high yield management, and give you real-time updates on what we're seeing and hearing in the field. We'll also gain insight from industry professionals as we bring you relevant and timely information on current agronomic practices. Thank you for joining us. Well, Andrew, after the uh, last few days of recording, I'm a mix of super excited and a little bit fatigued. <laughs> uh, I'd give a fair warning to anyone that decides to do a podcast with Andrew Penny. If you ask him to line up guests, he will line up all of the guests. Uh, no, super excited to uh, kind of kick off what we're going to call part one of uh, what I think is going to be a uh, four-part series. We had such a good time doing the grower uh, the grower podcast and learning what growers had, had seen kind of from all over the corn belt, getting advice about key takeaways and, um, you know, really just seeing what our, our farmer friends were learning. We decided to do an agronomist version of that. And, um, man, what a fun few days it's been, Andrew. Yeah, it, it was a lot of work, um, but, but a lot, of, a lot, a lot of fun work. I mean, uh, this this is the time of year that I like to reflect on everything that I saw, all the recommendations I made, and you know, I, I'm still learning. You know, there's there's a lot of areas. You know, being an agronomist is is a, a hard job because you got you got to know a lot about a lot of different things, and I, I continue to learn from counterparts. Um, you know, that, that's one of my favorite things, just to talk with other agronomists. You know, talk talk with them about what they what they recommended, what worked, what didn't work, um, and so I, I think you know the 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 end goal for this episode is just to learn from from everybody uh, across the corn belt on on things they tried, things they saw, so that we can we can you know hopefully be more productive next year. Yeah, I really enjoyed uh, you know the the cool part of interviewing this many people is there were some themes throughout that each agronomist kind of agreed with. And I think there's affirmation in that about some things we should be thinking about, but then also just the unique perspectives from geography and some of the microclimates. Um, Excited to share this with our listeners. So listeners, kind of what you should expect, we're going to kind of use this over the next four weeks. We're going to try and release one episode, roughly, roughly an hour. It'll, it'll vary based on the agronomist, um, but roughly an hour uh, each week for the next four weeks. And then um, kind of putting together a plan for what we're going to do uh, as we go through the holidays and into 2023. Really appreciate you guys listening. Enjoy the first, uh, the first series. Uh, this one's pretty special. A couple of agronomists that are pretty close to Andrew and I's heart um, and kind of a wide geography, but then we'll, uh, uh, we'll be back weekly to introduce the agronomists and, uh, yeah, hope you guys enjoy it. As always, give us feedback, uh, penny for your thoughts at gmail.com. Appreciate you guys. Enjoy. Well, Hey, uh, welcome to the, uh, inaugural edition of, uh, a penny for your thoughts, agronomist edition. And, uh, we are lucky enough to have, uh, Scott Johnson and Rich Judge, uh, on here with us. Uh, guys, how you doing? Good. Good, Penny. Very well. Awesome. Well, I, I hate to I hate to immediately put you on the on the spot, Scott. But I, but I got to take the time. You know, I'm kind of I'm kind of uh, uh, I've gotten really good at thanking people, uh, especially you know that that have had a, a direct and indirect impact on my career. And I I, I got to give you a shout out, and hopefully I don't embarrass you, Scott. But 
you know, I, I, I'd like to let everybody know that Scott has just been a, a huge influence on me and my career. And I can remember 10, 12 years ago, listening to Scott, you know, kind of, kind of that time as I was forming who I was, who I wanted to be as an agronomist. And I just remember listening to Scott and having a lot of respect for him, uh, his knowledge. Uh, and so I just, I just wanted to, to, to give a call, a shout out to you, Scott, uh, you know, you helped, you've, you're oh. someone that's definitely helped shape my career, uh, who I want to, you know, how I want to be known, uh, remembered by, I guess, in a way, but yeah. So thanks. You're, 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 bl- you're making me blush, man. You need, you need- <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, I, no, I figure it's, it's, it's always it's, good to, to tell people, thank you. And to, to give people credit where they're due. And e- even though you probably don't feel like you did much, I remember a lot of our conversations and you definitely impact my career in a positive way. So thanks. Well, no, I do appreciate that you saying that, that, that means a lot. So it, uh, yeah, it's, uh, yeah, no, like I said, no, now you got me all misty eyed. <laughs> <I look, laughs> if only we were together, we'd give each other hugs and go on, right? <laughs> That's right. Yeah. <laughs> I, I'm getting aside though, though, Andrew, I really do appreciate that. That means a lot. Good. It's, <laughs> it's, it's been really rewarding. Um, you know, I, I can say working with Andrew has been, you know, it's, it's so good to have people that can challenge you, but when you get to have fun, while you're being challenged and learning, that's, that's really enjoyable. Um, as we kick off the show, guys, would you just, um, give us, give us a brief introduction, um, uh, both Scott and Rich, tell us, you know, tell us your role in kind of the area that you cover. Yeah. So I'll go first. So got, yeah, this, I'm obviously Scott Johnson and, and one of the TAs here, uh, for North Central Iowa. The, the area I would cover would be basically up I-35 from Ames, up to the Minnesota border, uh, kind of the tier counties on both sides of I-35, kind of just in general. So, and, and of course, Rich, uh, Rich is with me. Rich, Rich Judge, I'm the, I'm the TA, the other TA in that particular region, and uh, uh, my work keeps me a little more north than Scott, but I uh, branch out more east to west, so I will get myself from where I live in Clear Lake over to. Uh, Howard Chickasaw Bremer, um, you know, that eastern part of the state where uh, uh, more no-till, more rolling hills, and and uh, fun for me, a little more tar spot. <laughs> I was just going to say, from, <laughs> nice. what I, from what I've heard, you guys had a... Uh, an eventful year up there. So it'll be, it'll be fun to get into this, but um, yeah, appreciate you guys joining us. We, we really want to, we really want to focus on two things. So first in 2022, uh, were there things that you guys set out to learn or, or, or incorporate with your, with your grower customers? Um, if so, what were they and kind of what were your observations? Well, we've, we've always got a few trials going on, uh, you know, curiosities, but we're seeing here and there. Um, I mean, really, really the elephant room is, is around fungicide timing. Sure. Um, everybody was looking at it this year. And, and for where that tar spot went this year, um, it was, we, we're, we're probably on the edge of it for what I covered on I-35. It's not that it isn't there, and it's not that we didn't see spots where it was, was fairly intense. Um, but for the most part, we did several fungicide timings you know our trials just looking at timing but in general you know we we had a fairly light disease year so not a lot of northern not a lot of gray uh and really where we unfortunately we're doing our trials not a lot of tar spot either um so uh you know based on years past that's not discouraging though just we, we've you know we've seen the benefits of the fungicide and it's just you know kind of asking more about 
when we, you know, the timing of it. And Rich, Rich is probably, you know, he's a little bit closer to the to where the things were going on. Yeah, I, I got into the hotter geography. <laughs> yeah, particularly my work over around uh, Highway 63 is the one that runs through Waterloo, and and uh, you know, if if you think about across the state, a lot of the timing things are, you know, do we go early with the herbicide? Um, and then at Tassel, or do we hit it at Tassel, and then do we go late? And uh, worked with several individuals on kind of stretching that timing out to figure out what's best uh, for some of these geographies, and, and kind of rolls me into one thing I'd like to dig into a little deeper next year was uh, um, separating that early fungicide trial, and rather than putting it on at V5 with the weed killer, had a couple guys that... Uh, very hot geography. I mean, just tar spot everywhere. Yeah. Made a unique pass around uh, V7, V8, uh, sometimes even a little bit later, but they can do that with their own ground rig. And then just weren't as jumpy um, in the post-tassel one. They're probably shooting R1, R2. Um, yeah. And seemed to be fairly successful. Um you know, as I got farther south and west, I had some people who had success with, uh, you know, just just spraying it at, uh, you know, the tassel. But they're actually probably closer to R2. Yeah. And that seemed to work out this year in geographies where tar spot wasn't getting started very early. And that worries me because I think what I learned to the northeast is as this disease gets um, heavier pathogen load in a geography, you're going to have to react much more timely. Oh yeah. Yep. What Rich, when you went, so that's what we're all observing, right? Is, is just higher level of pathogen incidence. Um, what's the earliest you've seen it, uh, in terms of these stages, what, what's the earliest observation you've made in those, in those really hot counties? In the, in the hot counties, quite honestly, you're not going to see a, uh, you know, a noticeable black dot until probably at least V10 or beyond. Um, with its uh, latent period, um, it just it just doesn't show anything you can scout for until about two, three weeks after it's already been in the field. Yeah. So it's, uh, you know, as far as spreading across the plant, g- getting to the spot stage where it's actually replicating the disease, Usually the worst counties are going to be a um, couple weeks after pollination. It really gets rolling. So week before August, um, we had seen it. And uh, farther west or Scott's area west of 35, a lot of times it was uh, well into September, sometimes the third week of September before it really got rolling. So it's about a month window there uh, what uh, – Illinois, Wisconsin, Northeast Iowa, CN versus Central Iowa and farther west. Yeah. So the you mentioned peace of mind, the the V four, V five, or V seven application offering some peace of mind. I know the data is probably relatively limited so far, but from an economic standpoint, have you guys made any economic observations in terms of that dual pass system? It's so far. It's what we've you, you said it right, Sean. So far, it's pretty anecdotal because yeah. uh, we, we see separate plots. You know, 
uh, to get a real good data set where you got something really concrete. Uh, we've did a we've done a few trials like some timing, and I would say that this year we have seen maybe a little bit bump on the on that early timing. Yeah. Um, you know, and I'll, you know, obviously in early timing, you're you're going early with a smaller plant, so you can get by with a smaller or lower rate, you know, right rate for right size of plant. Plus, when you're going early, you're 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 getting a free ride generally because you're going to be putting all the herbicide. So yeah, uh, it, it's so far like it's anecdotal. So I'll, I'll I'll just say it's 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 incremental. It's not necessarily a. <laughs> I, I don't. I, I'm necessarily putting a number out there because as soon as I do that, somebody's like, I didn't see that. But, uh, but we 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 did see some yield boost for that that early application. Yeah, one, one of one of the concerns that I have is. You know, it it seems like the last two years, I know this eventually will resolve itself, but I mean, there hasn't exactly been a bunch of extra fungicide in the countryside. <laughs> and so I start sitting there going, I don't know that we can support a single path, uh, you know, if it were to really take off you know, all over the corn belt, let alone a, a dual pass. So hopefully, uh, <laughs> hopefully all the major manufacturers are listening to a penny for your thoughts and they're uh, cranking up their, uh, their, uh, their, uh, fungicide production. But. So, so I'm, I'm curious guys, you know, I've, uh, that looking at the year that we've had, uh, you know, Scott, I know I talked to you the other day and you've got areas that have, have probably seen some of the highest yields they've seen in, in years past. We, so we've, we've been blessed yeah. uh, for, for for, for the most part, I, it, and like always, Andrew, you know, we, over you get 16 counties, most of it's good, but there's still spots that have too much rain or not enough or whatever. But yeah. in general, yeah, we've we've had a pretty good run yeah. uh, out of the area. So, so that, that's great to hear. And, and, and Rich, I know you're in an area that, that's pr- doing pretty decent as well. Um, what what look, Looking at the year we've had, you know, we had a, a really wet spring. Is, is there anything you've learned from, from 2022 in regards to pre and post uh, working or not working, um, you know, additional nitrogen, uh, you know, the, the timing of, of some of those applications? Uh, is, is there any takeaways, I, I guess even planting dates, is, is there any key learnings from 2022 that, that maybe we can take into 2023? There's, there's, I was thinking about this, what is, does the, uh, coming over to, to visit rich and and one of the things that really jumped out i, I think back with it you know you, you look back and you think about the trials you had there tribulations you know what was a big deal did it turn out to be a big deal or not and like you said we we were delayed with rain really we didn't get rolling the corn until about the 8th of may yep we had yeah, folks yeah, we had folks that were running a jump ship and changed their entire plans because yeah. it's getting late and if we had told them on May 8th, when they were just getting started, hey, this might be your highest year of year you've ever had. <laughs> they would have been like, Scott, you're crazy. Yeah. Right. <laughs> so I, one of the learnings is, is don't don't be quick to give up on your plan. If you got a plan, you put that plan together for a reason. And uh, there's just so much growing season and so many things that can happen. Yeah, we, you got to be flexible to adjust. But we weren't early on like that. Um, at the end of the day, uh, most a lot of these those folks that, that got delayed saw some pretty record yields and you know to put that in perspective some of those you know 109 day product we were using up on highway 18 didn't get in the ground till may 18th you know the end result that maturity still contributed a big chunk to that producer's overall yield it was one of the best ones and i was in a geography where um we were probably uh, we were probably down a quarter milk line when we got a frost that was able to kill all the kill all the leaves in the top of the plant. It didn't freeze the stock, but yep. pretty much it could no longer function. 
And uh, maybe we raised the moisture a point or two, but that was the RM, uh, the good yield RM. Yeah. Uh, really, the you know, if we'd all switched back to 900 day, the real fun started at 102, 105, and just got a little better from there. Yeah. Um, so, you know, that's proof that sticking to your plan uh, never hurts in our geography when you count the uh, GDUs. Yeah. One, before we got planting that we didn't cut on anything and uh may june july was kind of a gift up here we got right back to on track the only reason we got frosted was uh august was a little cool yep um but uh really i mean my tiny bit of test weight or you know a few uh, point and a half more moisture but it wasn't huge yeah it was sticking it, to the plane was still the best but yeah um Scott and Rich, nope. I, I really, I really like that call out because I, th- I think it really adds. You know, I think us as agronomists, we've we've really been having a lot of conversations with growers about maybe getting some beans in before corn, if if we're early in in some of those conditions. You know, the next week or two are unknown, and and I really like that call out because I, th- I think we had. I mean, you'll get some of our planting dates here in Central Iowa and in, in Southwest. You know, we had we had some guys that didn't start putting corn on the ground until May fifteenth. And we, you know, we had 116 day products still going in the ground May 20th, May <laughs> yeah. 24th. Yeah. So I, I think I, I really like that because I, I think, you know, you, you look at, you mentioned some of the, the GDU accumulation we're still getting in, in, in like you, you know, we still saw those 116 day products planted late, still have a huge impact on the growers and, and result, you know, as, as harvest wraps up. So I really like that because I think it matches up with, you know, trying to get to potentially get some beans in first. And, and I think that just reinforces the importance of, you know, really needing good planting conditions during and also the, the following week for corn, you know, because that kind of sets the stage for the rest of the year. Yeah. Into what you just said, you know, if I think I, I would never say that, that, you know, you, you shoot for a late planting date. I mean, that's, that's obviously not what the story is, yep. but but sorry, there's so much that happens here. The other thing that was different is, is that once it dried out, it dried out and got warm in a hurry. So what you had just said, as far as starting up, for the most part, it we had, I, Rich, I don't know, we had only very few calls with with concerns of of, of emergence or even as the stand. Most everything came up the way the way you would you know you would like it to. Well, yeah. uh, I don't know if it was Sean or Andrew, one of you guys uh, mentioned the the early conditions um you know and and what you learn about that yeah or no you mentioned something about looking into the future or as far as deciding if the next couple weeks are unknown do i plant some beans um one thing corn hates is to uh give it two good days to get its head above ground and then just let it sit there and shiver and not make any progress for for three weeks it opens you up to seedling disease um getting some sort of crown rot or some other issue started. They're sitting there at a size where bugs can attack them. And I think that, uh, you know, it's not only about soil temp and conditions are today. It's about what you expect them to be in the next several days and what kind of life. Yep. Exactly. We, we, uh, we've obviously, this is a time of year where we review what worked, what, you know, where'd we fail and then what did we look at? At for next year, and certainly crown rot uh, for us has been a huge topic of conversation because you did not have to look hard to find crown rot. And I think um, even though we, you know, we saw some really good yields from May planting, we saw a lot of early May and late April 
uh, Rich, to your point where we put some corn in the ground, probably in, in questionable conditions, but then that corn was forced to sit for two or three weeks. And, you know, there's, there's really no going back and repairing that, right? I mean, that, the, the, the damage has been done, and now we can try and mitigate some of the symptoms, but we can't go back and fix that crown once, once we've, uh, you know, once we've done that. And so I think that's a great call out. Um, yeah, it's really good takeaway for sure. Uh, guys, we, we, we really appreciate you joining us. Any, anything else you want our listeners to hear as they, uh, prepare for 2023? Like we said, stick with the plan. Uh, plant a diverse package it's rich and i always joke you see we we this time of year you know the last thing a guy sees is what what what's in coming out of there what he sees in front of the combine um and it's 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 never what happens the year you're coming out of that gets you it's usually something that you aren't thinking of so yep. yeah whatever it is but yeah plant a package expect the unexpected and and uh and as far as disease corner beans um water holding capacity in particular fields it doesn't it it doesn't matter what this year was because high ph is always high ph sandy soils whether you, you got lucky and it rained a lot or not you still got to match products for those sandy soils so you you look at what 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 next next year is likely going to be and plan for that yeah uh, yep. we, we don't just adopt all the little weird things that where we got lucky this year, just like you said, on we're not saying plant late. Now we got a way up there. <laughs> well, into what you just said, Rich, you know, yeah, obviously Tar Spider was talking about, but if that's all you're focusing on, It'll you're you're gonna miss you're gonna miss out on something else that you need as yeah. as far as agronomy needs or agronomic characteristics. Yep. And you, you that early fungicide, everybody's trying to figure out if that helped our spot well we're not sure that bump didn't come from it helped on something else and didn't do anything for tar spot absolutely yeah well well thanks again guys i, I really appreciate your time uh love love to get your insight and uh definitely had some takeaways from this so i appreciate it hey appreciate it guys you're doing a great job keep it up thanks Take guys thank yep. you bye-bye see you Hey, we're back with our next guest, uh, a, a very good friend of mine and uh, an agronomist who I have a lot of respect for, uh, Josh Anderson. Uh, Josh, how you doing? I'm doing well. How are you guys today? Great, great. So, so Josh, uh, tell us uh, a little bit about yourself, where you're from, and uh, what your role is. Yeah, so uh, I'm from north central Iowa, kind of the Mason City, Manly, Kensett area. I uh, grew up on the family farm, uh, farm a little bit now on the side with my dad and crop share with a neighbor. Um, off the farm, I, I work for Bravant Seeds. I, I'm a retail product agronomist uh, in kind of north central and northeast Iowa. Yep. Great, great. Well, Josh, uh, so so we're having a, a Penny for Your Thoughts agronomist edition. And our end goal is to, you know, I, I think... Uh, Look, look back on the year and, you know, I, I think as, as agronomists, we always try and learn from uh, the, the previous year in hopes that we can make, uh, you know, changes to the, to the following growing season and, and increase yields for our growers, right? So, so I'm curious going into 2022, you know, you look back at 2021, we had probably one of the best growing, growing seasons that we've had in a while. Um, and, and I, I'm curious, you know, going into 2022, was there, was there anything you wanted to look at, uh, and, and, and maybe test or, or maybe something you were thinking about implementing going into 2022, uh, that, that you had? 
Yeah, absolutely. I know, I know for us kind of quote unquote northerners up here, one thing the last couple of years, we, we had seen those fuller season hybrids specifically in corn, just really outperform uh, what a lot of growers had been planting up here. So in my in my geography, my home area, it's a lot of 99 to 104 day corn. And the last, the prior two years, we had just seen a lot of that 105 to 110 day stuff just way outperform what guys were planting on a larger scale. So that was one thing that I really looked forward, um, was gaining more track, more and more traction as a, as a seed guy. I saw that in the results going into 2022. And that was one thing that, uh, kind of interested me uh, for 2022. The other thing, like on, on some of the ground that I, that I farm, we tried specifically in soybeans. We, we tried, uh, some different things in the strip last fall, uh, did some dry micronutrient blends. And then we also put in some gypsum for calcium and sulfur underneath those beans. And, uh, it actually, you know, whether it was that or whether it was just the growing season, cause everybody up here had pretty, pretty solid bean crop. Uh, we, we set a farm record for, for soybean yields. Oh, nice. And you guys strip till too, correct? Correct. Yep. Yep. So we do, we do strip till. I I really, I really like hearing that, that, that full of maturity, because I think that's something that is is really not just impacting us here in Iowa. I I often talk with other agronomists across the corn belt and I I feel like no matter what your mature, where, what, or, or where your maturity range was, I feel like a lot of growers are starting to see um, later maturities kind of, you know, as, as we continue breeding efforts, I, I think a lot of growers are really starting to see if, if they can push that maturity range based on, on their GDU accumulation on, on, on an average year or normal year. I think they're really starting to see those benefits. Absolutely. Absolutely. And and especially in 2021, we got things planted so early and we had, we had such, such a high rate of GDU accumulation throughout the main part of the summer that those fuller season maturities, they, they were just as dry as a lot of the early season stuff by the time we picked them. Uh, and yeah, the performance was there. Um, now I'm not, I'm not going to sit here and say that I wasn't a little nervous about some of that fuller season stuff. <laughs> up north here. I bet. Uh, <laughs> some, uh, some of the like 107 to 109 day stuff that I plant here at home, I'll, I'll tell you what, two months ago, I was worried about it hitting black layer. Um, <laughs> I, I don't, I still, to this day, don't really understand how it made it and how it ended up being so dry at harvest, but, but we made it and I'm going to, I'm going to keep doing it. <laughs> yep. And I think, I think a lot of other guys are going to do the same. Have you seen, um, a common theme, <clears throat> excuse me, a common theme that we've experienced as we've talked to some of these agronomists is, is people kind of questioning order of crop. Uh, so maybe looking at some, some earlier planted soybeans as have you guys played with that at all? I, you know, to be honest with you, it was, it was on this, it was on my list of things to try this year and we just didn't get there. Um, it is, it's still tops on my list for next year, but I, I do have uh, a, a good number of, of seed customers that do they'll plant every every unit of soybeans before they even even put put corn in the in the corn planter yeah um and and they've done that for years so there's there's getting to be more and more traction around that but then you look at a year like uh, like this year uh we planted a lot of beans pretty late and we had tremendous yield so maybe that might pull back from that (laughs) sort of initiative a little bit i hope it doesn't because because as a seed guy i'd, I'd much rather replant soybeans than corn yeah absolutely. but uh, 
but yeah, I, I'm, I'm hoping guys kind of stick to that trend of trying to get those beans planted earlier and earlier. As you, uh, as a, as an agronomist, especially supporting seed sales, this is obviously a pretty busy season and, and everybody's out chasing the farmer. Um, what, what are you kind of looking forward to in 2023? What are you, what are you encouraging, uh, your, your, uh, seed partners to think about, uh, concepts to consider, I guess, uh, maybe your key takeaways from 2022 that you're going to take into 2023. Yeah. So some things uh, on the seed corn side, I think, uh, number one, you know, we up in my area this year, corn rootworm pressure took a very significant dip over what it was in 2021. And so I'm, my messaging is let's make sure that we don't forget about that. Sure. Um, Because, you know, mother nature always likes to throw us a curveball, and depending on how the winter goes and depending on how next spring goes with rainfall, we may or may not have uh, ultra high rootworm pressure again in 2023. Yep. the other thing I'm talking to guys about um, for that northeast quadrant of Iowa, tar spot was a was a pretty big driving factor for us um, in a, in a lot of spots, especially some of those guys that didn't get the fungicide on or waited until it was too late to try and kind of have a rescue application. Um, you know, hy- hybrid tolerance is the best thing you can go at with that. And but what I saw from a lot of plots, you know, fungicide, no fungicide. There were some plots where um, you know, I thought certain hybrids and certain products were just going to run away with the plot, but the, the, the difference wasn't as great as I thought it would be pre-harvest. Yep. Um, that being said, you know, continue to utilize the fungicides, fungicides paid big, big time for us this year. And with $7 corn going into next year, I don't, I don't really comprehend why that's not going to be part of the plan, especially if you had tar spot in 2022. It's, it's interesting, Josh, because you're your observations from your plot, I would say that mirrors a lot of what I saw. So obviously it's on everybody's radar, right? And and we're all scrambling to figure out really where where are our products at. Um and and then and then how does how does the timing of the disease really impact yield? I know Andrew and I spent some time looking at some products where we saw some pretty, you know, pretty high instance uh, relative to other fields. And, you know, you sit there and that's, that's really uncomfortable, especially with a, a disease we don't fully understand yet. But then the combine didn't necessarily reflect what we had seen scouting. And, and obviously it's very complex. Um, but I, I, man, I think the next couple of years are just going to be, yeah, there's just it's it's going to take a ton of time in the field to make observations around timing and hybrid response. I know we've talked a lot about you know we we want to be careful to not only um, to not focus too heavily on tar spot and forget the rest of the message. Right, it it needs to be a part of the plan, but it can't be the whole, the sole focus. A- absolutely, and the, and the nice thing that we have going for us too is we have a lot of really high value, high quality fungicides to pick from. Yep. The one thing that I, I would say going into 2023, uh, if you're worried about tar spot, make sure that you purchase one of those premium fungicides, multiple modes of action, yep. you know, ide- ideally three, because I saw a lot of separation in the field between the the guys that kind of went with the cheaper routes or the generics versus the guys that use the the higher value, higher quality fungicides. There, there was a difference. There yep. was a difference between that high high quality fungicide and just a fungicide. Yep, 100, 100% agree. Well said, Josh. 
No, I definitely appreciate the time, Josh. Um, I, I love hearing about uh, stuff, you know, stuff you've seen in your area and, and stuff you've looked at in your farm. So I, I really pre- uh, appreciate the insight. Yeah, you bet. I appreciate uh, appreciate you guys having me me on. Uh, keep doing what you're doing. I'm a huge fan, and you guys, you know that, Andrew. <laughs> you bet. That that means a lot, uh, especially coming from uh, another fellow agronomist. So you know, I, I Josh, think that... his his head's big enough as it is. I don't know if I necessarily. <laughs> I mean, we I got to get him out my office door by the end of the day. So if he gets too many right, compliments, yeah. it might be a problem. But no, yeah, it's, might it's... have to t- might might have to take him out the overhead door. Huh? <laughs> <laughs> no, we 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 really do appreciate it. Uh, uh, check in with us. We, we appreciate your feedback on the show and, and, uh, wish, wish you and your growers, uh, happy planning and a successful 2023. I'm sure we'll check in with you again soon. You bet. Sounds great guys. Have a good one. Thanks Josh. Talk to you later. You bet. Yep. Bye. Hey, we're back with our next guest, guest, uh, Lance Getch from, uh, Eastern North, North Central, North or Eastern Iowa. <laughs> it's kind of a tricky spot yeah i don't know he said it was he said it was raining and i i didn't know what that meant so i i'd be curious to if understand. it's raining then you know i'm I'm definitely in east central iowa <laughs> or northeast iowa uh so, yeah lance to get us started i guess tell us uh tell us who you are and, and tell us what your role is in the area you cover yeah so my name is lance Getch. i'm the agronomist for east central iowa but i'm part of the northeast iowa team um, and yeah, so I've been covering this area for a little over a year. Okay. Nice. Well, Lance, let's get started with, uh, the, the year of 2022, kind of what you saw, maybe some, uh, you know, just, uh, some, some inside info on, on crop growth and development. And, you know, it sounds like you've been fortunate enough to get some rain in spots. So, so walk us through the growing season, kind of, kind of what you saw. Yeah. So I would say for the most part, um, it was a very late planting season, it was very cold in April, um, and then even into early May, there was a lot of guys that were really anxious and really wanting to get some crops in the ground, both corn and soybeans. So some of them started planting in that later part of April, and some planted in the early part of May. And then, uh, as you guys can remember, we had a really big heat wave come in that second week of May, and it caused a lot of crusting issues. It yep. just dried out that soil and cooked it. Um, like a pizza crust. Um, so spent a lot of time uh, doing lots of stand counts with the drone and really trying to get a good understanding of what needs to be done with a lot of these fields. Um, and uh, for the most part, a lot of a lot of soybean fields, especially on the eastern part of my territory, um, were getting replanted. Um, and corn was kind of uh, very few fields, but some of them had some corkscrewing of the mesocotyl. But for the most part, many of the fields had enough population to get them through. Um, and then throughout most of the season, we had pretty adequate rainfall. If you were east of 380, north or east of 380, yep. um, and north of Interstate 80, um, as you moved west of 380 or um, south, I guess, south or west of 380, things started to get a little drier, and they had some, some more uh, pockets of of drought and, and not adequate rainfall throughout the season. Yeah. Um, Lance, so we saw some stress out there. I'm glad you brought up the, the planting uh, date. You know, that's something that we we've kind of discussed roughly here with, with a few agronomists, but I don't think we dug too much into detail. You know, I, I've noticed some, some differences in planting dates in, in corn performance or, or crown rot. Um, did, did you notice with, with the year you had, did you notice any difference in, in some of those April planting dates versus May? Um. 
So in general, I'll talk about corn and soybeans at the same time. Uh, a lot of guys have started to move to planting soybeans earlier, and a lot of the research has shown that that's been quite beneficial and to save corn for planting in the more optimal soil conditions. Yep. Um, and yeah, there's many reasons. I think the the seed treatments on the soybeans have been really, really strong and have allowed us to plant earlier on the soybean side. And of course, soybeans can also compensate pretty well if there's any lost stand. Yep. Um, but yeah, if there's corn that was planted extremely early, um, I didn't see a whole lot of issues with crown rot this year. Um, but yes, in the years past, that can be definitely a problem. Uh, just a lot of those early seedling diseases or the ones that are infecting early cause the late season problems like crown rot, yep. lower stock rot, and that type of thing. You mentioned um, using a drone to do stand counts. Um, I, I guess we, we've interviewed um, quite a few agronomists today. You're the first person I've heard mention that. Have you found some technology that, that you're having good success with? Yes. So um, we, as, a, as an agronomist team, have a couple different programs that we can use, and both of them are extremely, extremely valuable for us. Um, in determining how a field uh, is currently emerging. You know, if you do the old fashioned way, going out there and, and measuring and counting, um, you know, it can take quite a bit of time to do a, a full field, especially if it's a larger field, like 160 acres. Absolutely. But the, dr- the drones, you know, you can put it up in the air and within 15, 20 minutes, you get hundreds of counts and you can create heat maps and identify areas of the field that might be better or worse um, and make a more informed decision that way. And what's been really interesting is there's been a couple of fields were split planted and it really helps tell the story that um, a, a product that has a good rating for emergence and seedling vigor um, time and time again has shown better emergence. Like with the drones, you can see with a heat map compared to the other half of the planter, which had a more average emergence and seedling vigor score, um, but it was put into conditions which were a lot more you know, cold, wetter, stressful soil environment early. And it just, it tells you that, you know, those products aren't bad if they have a, an average rating. It just tells you that you need to make sure that those products are planted in, in better conditions. And if you have, if you have to plant early, make sure you choose the hybrids or soybean varieties that have the agronomic characteristics to, to be planted at that time. I, I, I cannot tell you how much I, I appreciate you know, this portion of the conversation, one of the things that I view as so valuable to having, um, you know, access to guys doing the research and and really put the boots on the ground is we've got to make really informed decisions when we, when we put these cropping plans together. Right. And I think so often it's kind of like we get away with some stuff. And so then we devalue that information. And I think years like 2022, at least in central Iowa, those ratings made a massive impact. And so as we sit here and, and plan for next year, um, one of the tools that Andrew has given us, you know, really, really dials in on those, on those ratings to the point where we're trying to really assign planting order and sometimes even some specific conditions. And I, I just think there's a ton of value in that because a lot of years we probably get away with doing some uh, not best practices because mother nature is cooperative, but in, in years like 2022, at least for us, you know, we didn't get away with a lot of those things. And, and, and I bet if you could really parse through the data 
you would see some pretty big mistakes from planting, you know, the wrong variety into the wrong conditions. Um, so really happy to really happy to hear you're doing that work as well. Um, as you're thinking about kind of the year as a whole and starting to plan, you know, help plan for next year, what, if you had a couple big takeaways, what would they be? Well, um, I'm sure you've heard, uh, you know, some diseases that have popped up in the conversation with some of the other, some of the other agronomists. And because I'm on the eastern side of the state. Not tar of spot, course, right? <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, tar spot's definitely uh, a big topic over here. Um, and uh, as we all know, we have some really good tools to help us with controlling tar spot. And fungicide has been working very, very well. Um, uh, pretty much every research uh program that has worked on tar spot has shown that two applications of a fungicide is better than one. And of course, one is better than none. Um, so we have a lot of guys that have been, you know, doing for the last three years or even more since tar spot has, has shown itself on this part of the state have done, have done fungicide across all acres of corn. And it's been very, very effective, um, for them. But, uh, now there's quite a few guys that are willing to, to do that second application, um, because there's a, a big return on investment just with um, the higher commodity prices. And uh, this year, we just had such a good crop um, anticipated. So guys really wanted to protect that yield. So a lot of the guys were doing that second application at R3. So they're doing a VT and an R3 application. Um, but there's quite a few guys that are also doing a double application. But um, the first application is actually um, going on with their post-herbicide because they're getting the free ride with the herbicide and they can go a half rate uh, because they're just lower um, amounts of leaf area out there. Um, so it's a very inexpensive way to get some early coverage. And, and remember too, you're not just controlling tar spot. There are many other diseases out there. And that first application is protecting you from those early inoculations of diseases, which end up showing up in the later part of the season. If we have stress, especially, so I, I actually like the VT. I like the early application followed by um, a tassel application. No. PTR one. Is, is, is there anything else as you look back? You know, you, you brought up tar spot, which is definitely an issue the further east you go here in Iowa. Um, is, is there anything else that, that's maybe stood out to you as far as uh, management practices or, or things that, that impacted yield either positively or negatively? Um. Not in particular. I mean, a lot of guys did a really good job this year managing their crop. Um, and, you know, like I said, we were very lucky for the most of my territory to have some pretty good rains. So a lot of people saw record corn and record soybean yields on pretty much every farm or a lot of their farms. Um, but, you know, in, in the eastern part of my territory, as you moved west, it became more average. Yep. Um, but, uh, yeah, it's just it's been so variable. And then you could go to places um, you know, closer towards, you could say like Marshalltown or so, and you go North or South 10 miles and some guys didn't catch the right rain or the same rain that another guy had caught just a few miles away. And the yields were huge swings in the wrong direction. Yep. So, so, quite variable. so as you think about 2023 and, and you're, you're talking to growers, what, what's some advice you would, you would give them, uh, you know, some th thinking about 2022 and the, and the impact some of our management practices had, uh, what, what's some advice you would give growers thinking about the 2023 growing season? I would say make sure you spread out your risk with several different hybrids. Um, a lot of guys have been trending towards going towards fuller season corn hybrids, which is great. A lot of them do have uh, higher yield potential. 
um, some of the risks with those higher, uh, with those fuller maturities, um, is sometimes their emergence ratings aren't as strong because yep. they have, have not been bred in those Northern environments. Yep. And, you know, if we come into another spring, like we did this year in 2022, where planting gets very delayed, we could run into an issue where that corn is planted and it doesn't finish before we get our first frost in the fall. Um, So, you know, don't put all your eggs into the full maturity basket. Um, Spread out that risk a little bit in case we do get an early frost in the fall. Yeah, I think that's a really good call out, Lance, because we've had a a number of of agronomists that have addressed the the, uh, you know, just some of the growers uh, looking at fuller maturity products within their region. But but we have yet to really address or, or discuss the, the fact that a lot of those later maturity products don't have the emergence ratings that some of the, the earlier products have. So I think that's a great call out and, and definitely something to think about is, is maybe load up on some of those later maturity products just because of that yield potential. I, I'm going to admit something that I'm embarrassed to admit, but I'm going to do it. I have looked and looked and looked and looked at our 114 to 118 day platforms. And I'm always frustrated. I'm like, man, why, why can we not seem to get like a one or two on emergence? It never <laughs> dawned on me that those really aren't being bred for, you know, central and north central Iowa. That's hilarious. Yeah. I, I, I learn something every time we do that, do this podcast. And I was like, I literally just had like one of those forehead slap moments where I'm like, well, obviously it makes sense. I mean, they're, you know, the, it's a lot warmer in Missouri when they're planting the corn that we want to plant now. So there you go, yeah. Lance. I, I, but you, you can almost guarantee that they'll have a good southern rust, rust score for that's the most right. part. A that's lot right. of them that's, that, I'm, well, I mean, Andrew and I have talked a lot as we've been doing this podcast just about really being intellectually honest, right? I mean, we've we've learned a ton. And uh, so I, I, I suppose I have to admit when I, uh, when I – learn something, even if it's embarrassing. <laughs> so, um, yeah. And, and we've had a lot of, we've had a lot of agronomist Lance talk about, you know, the trend towards later RMs, but I think that is a good call out. And I, and I would say going back to your point about emergence, those emergence scores are real, right? I mean, we don't, we don't spin a wheel and just randomly pick those. Um, you know, those, those are real observations. And I think, um, I, th- I think planning, putting together a high quality plan and executing it, we need to pay attention to those scores and we need to implement a plan based on that information. Um, we, we have the information to make the best, the best uh, uh, plans and execute them. We need to follow that. Yeah. yeah. And I know it sounds easy to make the plan and stick to it because I know what, what, what in reality, what happens spring happens and you're jumping around from field to field, finding a field that's fit and you have a, you have a tank or a hopper that's full of, this hybrid or that hybrid and you just put it in the planter and go. So I know sometimes it doesn't work, but yeah, it really is. Um, and, or weather changes, but it really is important to at least try to create the plan. Um, cause if you don't have a plan at all, you're, you're just, you're just going by, you know, trying to go for the luck of the draw, but yeah. at least if you start with a plan, you, you might come out with a little bit better luck. Well, I, I think for us, we saw huge swings this year in, in, in our geography where, I mean, really the execution of the plan was critical. And, and some of those, you know, you, you miss on that, on that luck of the draw. And I mean, it could be really, really costly, especially around, you know, planting conditions and emergence. I mean, that's just a a trend we've seen with all these interviews is that getting that stuff right was really critical. Um, Lance, as we wrap up, anything else you want our listeners to be thinking about as they put their agronomy plan together for 2023? No, I would just uh, spend some time with your dealer and really get a good, uh, you know, background on 
the new products that are being offered to you. You know, we had a lot of great new products um, enter our portfolio this year. And I think uh, it'll be a good uh, idea to mix in some of those newer genetics with your your products that you've been using the last few years. Yep. Well, hey, thanks, Lance. I, I appreciate the info. Uh, definitely learned from you. Love, love hearing your take on the year and, uh, you know, give us, giving us some, uh, some uh, things to take forward with in 2023. Yeah, have a good one. Thanks for having me. Thanks, Lance. I'm excited to introduce our next guest, uh, John Swalwell. John, uh, thanks for taking time to join us. You bet. Good afternoon. Uh, yeah. Tell us, um, John, tell us, uh, tell us your role and uh, kind of the territory that, that uh, you work in. Yeah. So I'm a technical agronomist supporting the decalvinized grow brands. So I'm Andrew's counterpart supporting the Southwest Iowa team. And my territory is the western half of Southwest Iowa. So um, I cover from the Missouri border up to Sioux City but really not east of Highway 71. Um, it's an area that is greatly influenced by the Lus Hills. So me and my reps call ourselves the Lus Bus. <laughs> Ver- vers- awesome. Versus uh, the, the east part of the pod, which is which is my, me and my reps, we're the, we're the beast from the east. There you go. <laughs> That's hilarious. Uh, John, we've, we've, uh, uh, we've, we've really wanted to just uh, practice gratefulness as part of our show. And, um, so, uh, my family has, has been involved with many different iterations of the decal brand, but, uh, John, you've, you've made uh, a trip, uh, a couple hours my way a few times when I've been in need of some, uh, agronomy support at different times. And, and, and you certainly have, have, have taught me a lot and influenced my business. I really appreciate that. Um, and, uh, appreciate you taking time to join us today. You bet. Thanks for that. Appreciate yeah. it. Um, our goal, John, is basically to just talk about maybe what you learned this year in agronomy. So in 2022, talk a little bit about what you were thinking about, the observations you were making, and, and what you were trying to learn. So when we were talking about this, um, one of the things I was thinking about is you asked me what new practices did we try this year um, in my territory. And I would say this year, A lot of those new things came with um, treatments applied at planting time, whether it was a seed treatment, an infurrow treatment, it could have been a fungicide, it could have been a biological uh, to stimulate nutrient availability. Um, We tried a lot of those things. That was probably the most common thread amongst some new practices amongst the guys um, that I work with. Um, And... In typical fashion, when you set out to set the world on fire with uh, what you're focusing on, um, probably I would say that in general, we saw mediocre to lower responses to some of those things than we expected. But I think it's just because the biggest driver for yield this year was water use efficiency and um, doing some really small things correctly that had a really big impact this year. So un, un, unpack that, your last sentence there, doing some some really small things correctly that had a big impact. Tell me, tell me what you mean by that. Well, um, since we are in the Lust Hills, we have a very high percentage of no-till acres. And many times in Iowa, 
you end up with a half inch to an inch of rain once a week through the planting season. And that rain really solidifies the job you did for planting and starts the crop off great. Well, we did not have that this year. So the little things that mattered most at the beginning of the season were that planting operation. Um, And that can come from uh, the conditions you chose to plant in because we had a few days with with 30 mile an hour winds and 90 degrees, it was dry on top, but it was still wet down below. Yep. Uh, we had a lot of situations where we've got these growers um, that have adopted some awesome new systems on their planters. Uh, a lot of it around variable um, down pressure systems and what we can do with that. But with that complexity of that machine, man, it really there's a learning curve to getting that right and i think in a lot of situations some of those systems we we weren't where we needed to be yet on understanding their full impact and i think we were able to open some furrows that we couldn't quite close back up we didn't have the cooperation of mother nature to give us a rain to finish that off and i really think the subtleties of planter settings selecting the conditions when you planted and when you didn't plant um, had a huge impact on our end result this year. And some years, I mean, if you get rains every week, you could have a lot of things that aren't perfect that that by the end of the season look like they were perfect. Yep. yep. Ho- Holly Thrasher was on um, earlier today and uh, a great agronomist. And I think her line was something like, timely rains cover a multitude of sins or something like that. <laughs> yeah. And, and kind of that, yeah, kind of that same mentality, right. That, um, uh, those little, those little details are, are amplified when, uh, maybe we aren't dealt to mother nature that we'd otherwise, uh, prefer. Yeah. I had a crop science teacher that said those guys in Iowa could generally <laughs> seed their corn with an end gate seeder and get a crop, but it's a little bit different <laughs> down in Kansas where your soils and your rainfall aren't the same thing. <laughs> that's hilarious. Yeah. So, yeah, you, you definitely brought up a good point, John. And, and that's something, you know, we kind of touched on, you know, a lot, a lot of growers assume they, they buy a new half a million dollar planter and everything is just ready and you don't have to do much. You can just plant into anything and everything. And, and I think we've quickly learned that that's, that's not the case always that, you know, d- definitely depending on, on the dry conditions or, or soil conditions, um, that, that can definitely impact uh, the, the rest of the growing season. So, you know, that, that was a good, uh, a good call out. Uh, is there anything else looking back in 2022 that you think, you know, you, you really learned from or, or a management practice, a, a timing of, of a certain application uh, that, that you want to carry on into 2023? Well, it's not really a timing of an application, but one of the things that I saw is uh, another one of those little things that makes a big impact the guys who have always erred on the side of caution around their soil health and i would put the soil health in three categories that could be the soil structure that you've maintained the amount of compaction that you have and the fertility levels um if if you have done a lot of tillage i i can go i can drive you to a place um where on one side of the fence the farm was never terraced until you know the 90s and the grower who had it did a lot of tillage over the years so there'd been several erosion events and there'd been several compaction events and a lot of organic matter loss on the other side of the fence the grower adopted conservation practices very early the organic matter is higher 
the elevation of the fields are different at the fence line. So that gives you an indication of the erosion that's happened over the years. Yeah. And the, the soil structure is much better. And that, there was 120 bushel difference in wow. the corn yield between those two fields this year. You know, um, that soil health really increases the water use efficiency um, for crop in any given season. And we had to have all of that we could have this year. Yeah. I think it's interesting. And, and that's, I, I really appreciate that example. It's interesting because there's these, these like really high level conversations going on about, you know, climate change and carbon markets and, and farming practices. But I think it's a great call out, right? I mean, that's, that, that soil is the only, uh, the only re I mean, that's the critical resource we have. And so certainly geography plays into that, but, but again, the amplification of success or failure based on those little details, I think is, is really critical in more stressful years. Another thought that I had, John, as you were talking, you know, when, when you set out to do, um, you know, some of those tests and, and we've done those as well with, with different biologicals and different biostimulants and, and just different concepts, you know, if we don't get the basics right, if we don't have the N, P, and K right, if we don't have the planting conditions right, if we don't have the right hybrid on the field, you know, oftentimes with, at least in my experience with a lot of those biologicals, you know, we're looking for very, um, you know, very small incremental gain. And if, and if we're messing up some of those foundational needs, then those tests become really hard to interpret, right? Um, because we don't, we don't know why it's having an impact if, if we don't have those other things right. And so I, I, I think for me, just a heavy emphasis on, on doing those little things right is really important. Well, and I think as we get into this biological market deeper, we may find that some of those tools can help where we've got some soil problems. You know, I think some of these um, treatments that we have out there may actually have a better benefit if the basics haven't been done right for a long time. Sure. Maybe, maybe there are certain fields with lower organic matter, some other soil health qualities that aren't that great that could benefit even more from yep. some of these um, things. So, and it's, it's really hard to interpret the results because um, Mother Nature hides her trends behind a lot of variability when you're doing <laughs> these things side by side. That might be the quote of the day. Uh, any any other key takeaways, John? Any anything as as obviously we're setting into the planning season, right? So we're taking our 2022 learnings, um, some good, some bad, and applying them to 2023. Uh, what would you have our listeners know as they as they put those plans together? Um, I think one of the things that I'm looking through you know, recommendations for growers. Uh, I think we still need to be open to maturity, diversity, and some planning of harvest schedule around the products that we plant. Because again, this year, we got into the situation where our corn and beans for a too high a percentage of the harvest was way over dry. Um, we don't want to swing the pendulum the opposite direction and end <laughs> right. up with something on a, that's too wet. But man, I saw some late replant beans of really full maturity that were some of the best yielding. Um, I saw some, just, just some differences. I, I think we're zoned in still too closely on a narrow maturity range in our corn and beans and spreading that out for the right reasons can add some diversity to um, what we have out there and maybe mitigate some risk. Yeah. I think that's a really good call out and it, it you know, I, I think a lot of people across the growth, corn belt, a lot of growers are, are really seeing the benefits of later maturities and, and maybe stretching that. 
and, and I, I think it gets it gets harder too as, as they do that because they 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 see and get used to some of those yields, and then it's hard for them to go backwards, right? And, and then all of a sudden, before you know it, then then they're stuck in that later maturity zone. Mm-hmm. So it, it's, yeah. it's, it's difficult. But yeah, I, I totally agree. John, we uh, yeah. we appreciate you taking time to join us. Uh, thank you for the hard work you do supporting uh, uh, supporting your growers and and occasionally uh, occasionally me when I <laughs> when I need to tag you in. Um, wish you guys a, a great fall planning and and appreciate you taking the time to join us. You bet. Thanks a lot, guys. Thanks, John. Take care. Well, Andrew, that was that was certainly um, really fun. I, I would say you know, two things that just jump out to me is it was super fun to hear you talk about Scott kind of forming, uh, you know, some, some early vision of, of kind of who you wanted to be as an agronomist. And, yeah, definitely. You know, I think the thing that's cool about that is, is this is living science, right? So it's, it's constantly changing. It's constantly evolving, but, but, uh, it's just fun to see kind of you know, maybe some foundation laid for you and in why you're passionate about agronomy and then how you want to deliver that agronomy to people. Yeah. I thought that was really exciting. And not a lot of people know my story, but early on when I started doing ag work, John Swalwell was somebody that came uh, multiple times, kind of, I'd say to the rescue, maybe when I needed support. And I wasn't even necessarily in an area that he covered, but he was just a guy that I could lean on. So I really appreciated that. Yeah. Um, you know, just a couple takeaways for me that I thought was interesting. I We've talked about being pretty honest on this podcast. And so kind of <laughs> laughing about when Lance was talking about emergence in full season corn, I've always banged my head against the wall going, why can't we find better emerging products? <laughs> uh, so I got a kick out of that. And then, um, you know, I, I would say uh, when John Swalwell was talking about just the difficulty of, of doing testing, especially some of the peripheral type products that maybe aren't um, part of the the foundational building blocks, how important it is we get everything else right. So how important planting conditions are, um, really focusing on making sure we have all of our base correct and then execute well, because otherwise we can mask some of those those small things we're trying, whether it's micros or bios or, or that sort of thing. What about you? Yep. No, I, I, I yeah, I, I loved uh, listening to, you know, the, the four agronomists we had on here, uh, their take. And, and definitely, um, you know, as, as Scott and, and Rich talked about fungicide timing, you know, uh, obviously Rich uh, deals with that a little bit more than Scott does. So I, I think it just depends on, on the area, but there's, you know, everyone from, uh, you know, Scott, Rich, uh, John, and then, uh, Josh, uh, definitely had some, some valuable, um, information for us to take in. And, you know, as I sat back here and listened to it, you know, it was, it was kind of hard to soak it in, uh, as you're listening to it, you know, cause you're trying to guide the conversation. Um, but you know, th- there's every one of these people that we had on here have a large amount of respect for, you know, I, I think, at the end of the day, you know, I, I think no matter who you work for, I think I think we have a, a lot of great people that just focus on science, and it's it's science first, and and the the information, the guidance that we can, uh, you know, help growers with from from that science is, is is I think really what what drives me and a lot of agronomists. So, you know, I, I just really enjoy sitting back and, and listening to these listening to these agronomists. Yeah, it's amazing to think about the agronomy horsepower just in that first segment. Yep. I mean, that those are uh, guys that spend a mountain of time trying to know and understand what's happening in the countryside. Well, uh, first segment, uh, first part is awesome. Uh, look forward to 
next week. We'll be back with uh, you listeners in a week. I'd, I'd really, um, I really would encourage you guys, if you have feedback, shoot us an email, uh, reach out to Andrew and I on social, uh, would, would love your thoughts, especially if you have questions for these guys and then would really encourage you if you enjoy the content, reach out to them. We're going to tag all their social media and try and give you the ability to contact them. Uh, make sure you use them as resources. If, uh, if, if you see fit. Awesome. Thanks for listening. Thanks guys. Thank you for joining us for another episode of a penny for your thoughts. As always, we love feedback from our listeners. Please email us at a penny for your thoughts at gmail.com or reach out to Andrew and I on our social media. We'll chat at you next week.